everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? Cold and covered in snow. Yeah, I know. I was looking at the weather app before we jumped on here tonight because I was just like, because we're actually we're a couple of minutes late recording, but I was looking at the weather going like, oh, I don't know what Tim's up to. But yeah, you guys are getting uh, some light snow tomorrow. Well, we've got, uh, probably have to shovel twice today. Has it just been that bad with all the snow? And uh, it's just been pretty heavy starting last night, coming into tonight. It's right, yeah, continuing on throughout the day. So it's like you know, it just it piles up, and someone's got to move it. True. I mean, how often do you guys get the Chinook winds there, where it just sort of melts after a couple of days? Is it fairly common in Calgary? It varies. Sometimes you get them once a month, sometimes less frequently. Okay, because I was always curious about that, because I know you've always mentioned about how it would snow and the Chinook winds would come in and the snow would melt and all that good stuff. So, Tim, I'm super excited to get together today, not only because we actually have games to talk about with a Sens 1, and I'm not talking about one game or two games, but three games this week that we won, but we also got a very top cover athlete to talk about so let's jump right into it season six episode eight in chronological order episode 132 the rob ray edition of the third line plug sensecast so just a little background about rob ray he was drafted 97th overall by the buffalo sabers in 1988 he played parts of 14 seasons with the sabers recording 40 goals 56 for 90 points in 889 games and an astounding 3189 penalty minutes he would be traded to the Ottawa Senators in 2003, where he would play 11 games over two seasons, recording one goal and 18 penalty minutes. So, Rob Ray's an interesting guy for me, Tim, because, you know, unlike yourself, like, I grew up watching, like, the Don Cherry Rock and Sockham tapes every yeah. every Christmas. All I had throughout my childhood. Rob Ray was a big part of those because he was that noted tough guy. He was like Bob Probert. He was like that noted tough guy in the NHL, always throwing the fists. And he was one of the toughest sons of bitches that you'll ever see in the game. Because when you go back and watch some of those fights, like, it's funny. When you think of the tough guys in the NHL that's in the 80s and 90s, there were, what, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", some of them? Yeah. Rob was 6'215", 220 pounds. So he's about my size, but just bigger. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, he's built like a shit brick house. It's Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's just weird to think of how uh, that era of hockey is just gone, right? Yeah, I think with the with the salary cap being the way that it is, I think people can often point at it, but I think at the I honestly believe it would have probably died itself out in the NHL even without the salary cap because again, you're the new NHL was moving into where it's you needed more speed, you needed more skill, you can't just have two or three tough guys on your team to win. I'm not yep. saying that toughness is not an integral part of hockey today because it is, you know, you saw it with St. Louis when they won the cup in 2019, you're seeing it with Boston and how effective they've been over the last, I would say two decades. I mean, but your toughness needs to be able to play 10 minutes a night and score 10 goals. Exactly. I mean, Ottawa had that with Chris Neal for 15 years, right? Yeah. And, that's the thing about the Rob Rays of the world is 
well, when the NHL is this much more athletic than it was in years past, skate or die, my dude. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about that is, of course, a lot of those tough guys in the 80s and 90s, they were just goons. Like, they were only on the ice to throw the fists. They were not good skaters. They were not good puck handlers. They were just there to fight. Now, of course, you would have the odd guy who could actually play. Like, Bob Crover could actually play. And some of these other tough guys that you really wouldn't think that because of the fact that they were enforcers in the NHL, but they were good hockey players. Yeah, like uh, the difference between Chris Neal and Zach Cassian. Yeah, or even John Scott. Or Chris McGratton, yeah. Brian McGratton? Brian McGratton, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know there was a Chris McGratton. I was unaware of this. <laughs> sorry, I just, scrubbed the, I just screwed up the name. You blew it. We have to drop one of those in a while. That's right. Yeah, we haven't. I haven't dropped a you blew it in a while. <laughs> now, hopefully, now, getting off topic here, Tim. Now, I know you, we've talked about this before we hit record. I actually turned my mic down a little bit. So I don't know how this is coming in right now. So if it's coming in a little bit quieter, it is what it is. But when I do the Stitches Stoot Sluts and the Hot Sambachos, they're not coming through. So hopefully we do that. Now, going back to Rob Gray for a second. How many guys in the NHL can you think of? They have a rule named after them. I can think of two. Rob Ray's one of them and Sean Avery's the other. The Sean Avery rule. The, the Rob Ray rule is funny because basically Rob, because he was a smaller guy in compared to the other enforcers in the NHL, basically what he would do is that he wouldn't have the tie down on his jersey. He cut it off. So based and he had, I think he wore a super baggy jersey on him. So like the jersey insulate came off the pack. He was, he had no shirt on. So it was basically, if, if I could put an analogy here, Tim, it was kind of like that episode of South Park where Randy goes to Stan's baseball games and just fights everyone without a shirt on. Yeah. That was kind of like Rob Ray in the NHL, just with like full hockey gear from like the waist down. But yeah, he's shirtless fighting dudes in the NHL. Yeah, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, I think he's fifth all time in penalty minutes. Now, the one cool thing about Rob Ray, Tim, post career. Now, of course, he got into being like a color commentator for the Sabers, and a play- I don't think he's a play-by-play guy. I think he's the color guy. He was between the benches. There was one cool thing that came out of this for naming Rob Ray the cover athlete. So, as you know, and as our listeners know, third line plug is on Instagram. At their left blog on the ID. So well, I made the announcement that Rob Ray was going to be our cover athlete. This is from last week. And, you know, the usual people were liking it. And then I see there's one like on there. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I hit it. It was Rob Ray. <laughs> Rob Ray himself liked it. And I was like, oh my, what? I immediately screenshot it, sent it to you. I was like, dude, look. Robbery like the photo. And so the cool thing for me is that he's on Instagram. So I instantly I DM'd him. I said, hey, instead him. I D insta DM'd him. Yes. I slid in his DMs. But not in a weird way. Just like a mm. cool, like, you know, we because we were I was so appreciative that, you know. And that's the thing for me. Like it's never lost on me when we talk to ex NHLers or people who work in the media, you know, go down the list from Tugger to Ron or yeah, from Ron Tugnut to Jamie McLennan to whoever. Rob Ray's kind of is in that boat too, where it's like, that's kind of cool because I grew up watching him and whatever. 
So I DM'd him and I said, hey, Rob, you know, I really appreciate you liking the post. Doors always open if you want to come on the podcast. Rob Ray DM'd me back and says he would be interested in doing it. Oh, that'd be sweet. So maybe someday down the road, there's no timeline. There's no planning whatsoever right now for what a potential Rob Ray interview might be. But you never know. Maybe someday down the road, we'll get him on the show. He could be our Sabres guy. Oh my God. Can you imagine for our Rob Ray being our season preview guy for the Sabres next year? Yeah. Oh, don't get my hopes up, Tim. That's <laughs> so awesome. Now, moving away from Rob Ray, Tim, we got to announce next week's cover athlete for season six, episode nine, chronological order, episode 133. And of course, the cover athlete for this one is current Ottawa Senators goaltender Cam Talbot. Or as you so put it, before we hit record, Tam Calvert. <laughs> Are we just dropping on my mispronunciations today? Yeah, yeah, that's just the episode's going to be today. It's okay, like fair. earlier this season when we were doing the described audio. <laughs> just, just not a not a funny bit. Yeah, Tim sits there and shakes his head and discuss. <laughs> Did anyone ever comment on the described audio bit? No, nobody did. I was really shocked. I would have assumed Adam would have. Mm. That seems like something Adam probably would have found really funny. And I'm kind of disappointed that nobody picked up on that. Uh, we'll just we'll just run more bits. It's no problem. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. So, Tim, I got to ask the question that I ask every week because I like hearing about it. The listeners like hearing about it. How has your week been going? You know, it's been pretty good. Uh, other than the snow, but one thing that uh, Chelsea introduced me to this weekend, uh, I've now introduced to you via <laughs> via Facebook message, is how familiar are you with this obs- this one joke from a 1998 episode of The Simpsons, where? Millhouse is playing an arcade game based off of Waterworld and asks him to put in 40 quarters to play. He walks a step and he dies. Was that episode from 1998? Yeah. I assume that would have been from like 96 or something. Well, I think it's like just after Waterworld was like confirmed to be this massive flop, right? All right. Yeah, I think it's like a 97 or 98 episode. Okay. Where and then it's just like Kevin Costner is just like, please deposit 40 quarters. What a rip. <laughs> Some, back in. Somebody made a video game out of that. As soon as I saw that, I was just like, you've got to be kidding. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised somebody made a video game based on it because it's, it's a funny idea. <laughs> it's such a funny idea. Although, I mean, you think of all the moments from The Simpsons that you could instantly make into, like, a short arcade game. Well, what's incredible about this game is you act you don't really control the game itself. You control Milhouse playing the game. Oh, okay. So, uh, to actually interact with stuff, you have to move Milhouse's hand from the action button to the, <laughs> the interact button. <laughs> And when you die, it the screen actually like goes down, and Millhouse has this hand of quarters, and you have to like stop 
orders into the machine to keep playing and it keeps track of how much money you put into the machine like how many uh, game quarters you put into the machine because like just like in the game like you there's no hit points you just die and it's please insert 40 quarters he takes like three steps and he dies yeah <laughs> it's just like crap like that you know what i was thinking of when you sent me that now i'm gonna i can't remember the simpsons game i think it was it was on the super nintendo it was on the sega genesis i want to say it was bart's nightmare i want to say it was kind of like this one where you had basically the that you had like five mini games in one that kind of reminds me of that a little bit because i remember playing that as a kid because i always thought the idea of a simpsons video game because i was a big simpsons kid yeah. growing up as i as you clearly know with me growing up but it just reminds me of that i'm gonna quickly look this up because i think if i'm not mistaken i want to say it was bird's nightmare matt should we just like slip it up please deposit 40 quarters soundbite in here somewhere maybe was it Bart's Nightmare? Bart's Time Machine. All those Bart games were terrible, though. Yeah. Yeah, there was one where they had, like, there was one where they had Bart going down the water slide, and you had to avoid, like, obstacles and whatever, and you had him as a dinosaur. And I think if you died, basically, what if memory serves me correctly, I think when you die as one of the Simpsons as a dinosaur... <laughs> It's Lionel Hutz that discovers you like millions of years later. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I got a quick question though. Yep. Of all like the moments from The Simpsons, like which moment would you turn into like sh like a short flash game or arcade game? I would make a rhythm game based off Dancing Homer. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. I like that. You know what I was thinking of? Yeah. It's in the episode Marge Marge versus the Monorail, where it's kind of like a crazy taxi sort of, of game where you're Marge and the scientist trying to get to the monorail before it takes off. Oh, uh, that would be good. I shouldn't have stopped for that haircut. Sorry. <laughs> you know, be a really fun flash game was it was from season one, it's Bartlett General, where all the kids in Springfield ganged up on Nelson with water balloons. Right. And make like a strategy game or a tower defense game about that. Yes. That would be good, man. That would be good. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week. Because last weekend, as you know, we recorded on Saturday. Hmm. And it was because it was Katrina's birthday dinner on Sunday night. Her birthday was on Monday. So I couldn't do either one of those nights recording. So anyway, we did her birthday dinner on Sunday night. And it was great. My dad came over from a little bit. My mom and my stepdad came over for dinner and whatever, and her parents and whatever. And it was really great. Like, really good. They made really, like, a really good Alberta steak. Yep. Because her dad brings back Alberta beef and whatever when he comes to Vancouver Island. So, brought that, brought homemade beef jerky as well. Oh, wow. Let me tell you, it was good stuff, man. It was good stuff. And of course, my dad made a trifle and her birth mom brought some cheesecake, whatever. I don't know what, I don't know if I was dealing with the flu or something I ate. Probably about 1130 midnight around that time. I wake up and I'm just shaking. And I was 
instantly got sick. I was just like, holy crap. Yeah, I think the last time I've had something like that happen to me was uh, I ate some undercooked sausage. Yeah, sausage is the worst. Anything ground, really. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell, too, right? It's kind of hard to tell. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, so I was sick for a couple of days this week. I went to work last Tuesday for a couple of hours. And I did a squat. I was picking something up. I came, I stood up. And I got super lightheaded. I was there for two hours. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this, man. There was a... Honestly, there hasn't really been much on my week that I can really report on. I do want to report on one thing, though. Yeah. So when we get to talking about one of the games this evening, mm. only one of them I ha- I condensed this week. Not because I didn't get just to watch the entire thing, because I wanted to make notes or whatever. You know what really drives me crazy? Yeah. Not so much as the YouTube ads, but there's one specific ad that pisses me off. Is it the fucking spot of, sorry, the skip the dishes ad? It's not the Skip the Dishes ad. That ad is awful. Oh, it's... No, I don't know why. It's just a part of me that really drives me insane. Because of how, like... I don't There's just something about it that drives me crazy. It's a CIBC ad. Where it's this young couple have a kid and he goes, Yeah, we want the tricked out stroller. And we want this. And what we want to travel to. And I sit there. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. You will have a kid, or you will travel, but you will not have both. You will not have both. And I said that, and Katrina says the same thing. She goes, oh, I hate that ad. So anyway, when I'm driving, because her mom and her dad flew back to Alberta. Yeah. On what fucking day was that? Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday. Mm. Drove them to the airport. We got talking about that ad. Like, her mom and dad own a farm in Alberta. It's like, they never traveled when Katrina and her siblings were growing up. Yeah. It wasn't until the last, maybe, 10 years. They they went to, like, they've gone to Hawaii, like, three or four times. They've been to Puerto Vallarta. Um, I want to say, I think it's Barbados. Because, like, her aunt and uncle own a place in Barbados. Yeah. Wonder if they know, I don't know if they know Eugene Melnick. <laughs> We should, I should ask him about that. But yeah, anyway, so I brought that up to them. And even her dad's looking at me going, yeah, that's just stupid. Like, who the hell could afford both? I don't know why. And maybe because I don't have kids. It just drives me insane to think that, like, how much fucking money do you make that you are able to have the strict out stroller and whatever, but you want to travel? And I said to Katrina, like, I can understand if it's like a road trip. A couple of hours in the car, I can kind of see that. But you're not flying somewhere with a freaking two-year-old. When we when we lived in the UK, we did fly a bit while we were growing up. So, like, we did go from, like, the UK to France and Switzerland, Germany and Spain, yeah. Yeah, but that's different, though, because how... Well, that's, like, also going to, like, Orlando. How, Actually, that's probably closer than going to Orlando. I was gonna say how because you live in when you lived in the UK, like how far away were like Germany and France? so the flight from Manchester to Paris was forty five minutes. Yeah, so basically, it's like a flight from here it, to Calgary, or yeah, or like going to Di- yeah, going to Disneyland. Like yeah, and I know a lot of kids when I was in elementary school in Halifax, their parents would be like, "Oh, we got like." We got some extra money in the budget. Uh, we're going to take the kids down to Disney World. So, like, that would happen sort of thing? 
okay, no, no, I get what you're saying on that end. But here's the thing, and I said this to Katrina's dad. I was like, because he said the same thing to me. He says, you know what? I can understand it if the kid is like six and up. Because at that point, you can still reason with them. And be like, listen, I understand you're tired and whatever, but it's we still got another couple hours to go. You can't do that with a two-year-old. I'm actually surprised at how well my little sister traveled for a three-year-old. I don't know what that is. About. It was actually kind of impressive. Like, I still remember uh, we uh, went from uh, Barrow to London. So, like, it was still within the UK, and we did it all by train. And uh, I remember we went up the the London Fire Memorial. And it's actually just a column with an internal staircase. <laughs> and it's, like, 300 steps in the middle of London. And it was built in, like, the 17th... Yes. I want to say this 18th century. So of course it has no freaking air conditioning. Yeah. We made it all the way up and all the way down. So yeah, it worked out. I find that even when I was in the UK this summer, like not air conditioning is such a North American thing because oh, yeah. in the UK, they do not know what that is. Like even in the hotels that we were staying at, at least they knew what air conditioning was and they had it except for the one in Edinburgh. They could fuck right off. <laughs> Well, it's like they, for the most part, just didn't really need it. I remember when I was in the UK, the warmest I ever got was like 28. Yeah, so it was like, it's just a thing that wasn't really needed. Like, most most old older houses, even in like houses built in the 90s in Calgary, don't have air con, right? They have heat. They yeah. don't have air conditioning. Yeah, heating would be a big thing. In the summertime, does it get super hot in Calgary? That It's getting there more recently, but it'd only be like, like apparently... uh it used to only be like 10 days a year where it would get like super, super hot. So it wasn't, wasn't that important. Okay. But like it, you're starting to get more warmer days more often. Fair. But, yeah, but like I said about the, C the CIBC ad, I don't know. It drove me crazy because they're so optimistic. It's very much like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer and Marge go by themselves to Florida or wherever and they have the young couple we can't wait to have kids it's going to be a snap and they're like ha, ha, ha. oh god you think that and for me it's like okay i can understand if it's a road trip it's a couple hour drive i, I get that but i don't know it... the other thing too is compared to 30 years ago like flying is a lot cheaper right Although flying in Canada is expensive. Flying from Canada or flying in Canada is still rather expensive just because of the way that airlines are forced to cross-subsidize in Canada, as well as the lack of airports, lack of density, bloody bloody blue, having to service Setil and uh, small towns like that really does cut into budgets. Sorry, well, pushes it, push up prices for even the major routes. I don't know. So I got a so question for you. Now... I'm, I'm sure eventually you and Chelsea, yeah, I'm sure you guys have talked about having kids. Maybe yeah. Future. At what, like, say if you guys want to take them on a trip, at what age do you think that would be like, okay, they would be at least good to take on an airplane? That's a tough question. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, Chelsea's right behind you. We can ask. <laughs> maybe later. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I agree with him. I agree with my, uh, with Katrina's dad. I'm just like, yeah, six and up. Because at least with that at that age, you can 
they could could be reasoned with. You could reason with them. You could reason with them, but also they're just too excited. They're like, oh my God, we're actually going somewhere. This is amazing. I wonder if you could pull the thread of one more and it's back to Winnipeg. That's it. Back to Winnipeg. Winnipeg. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, though. I am looking forward to my trip here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be great. All right. Do you want to get into top of the hour? Yeah, we might as well, man. We should segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Not our best. That was, yeah, that was bad. The Peace Hour bells are nice, though. Yeah. I like those. I like those. Now, let's get to the top of the hour, Tim. Now, you know, with me, I hate talking about death. We don't have a death to talk about this week, thank God. Unfortunately, next week we do, but we got to talk about Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman Chris Letang because I'm I back in 2014 he unfortunately suffered a stroke. I did not realize that was 2014. I thought it was sooner than or later than that because I thought we talked about that on the show, but apparently it was not. Well, unfortunately, it was announced this week that he is out indefinitely after suffering his second stroke on Monday. Letang. Like I mentioned, he had previously suffered a stroke back in 2014. Yeah, and that's, it's scary stuff. And like, strokes are super non-linear too. So it's like, the first one might not be too catastrophic. And then all of a sudden the next one's just a, and like, or the first one might just be awful and the next one's not. So like, it's, who knows until we actually see what happens. Like, uh, yeah, I remember I used to do karate with a guy who uh, had a stroke when he was 12 and then just never got control of the left side of his body back. I mean, he managed to make a pretty good life for himself. But like, yeah, like, that's the thing with strokes. You don't know what you have and what you don't have until the recovery process is done. That's fair. But no, we want to give a shout out to Chris Letang because, you know, that's such a shitty thing, man. When you have, you know, not only because you suffer injuries due to your playing career, but then you have a sh- two strokes on top of that. Yeah. Like, uh, we're hope- hoping that uh, he comes back completely functional or at least to a level that he can enjoy his post-playing career. 100%, man. 100%. Now, unfortunately, with this top of the air, Thankfully, we have Suns games to talk about because the Suns win this week. But it because it is a shorter top of the air than usual. So we're going to give another, we're actually going to give a quick shout out. The Tavern Lightning captain, Steven Stamkos, who became the 95th player in NHL history to record 1,000 points during the team's game versus the Philadelphia Flyers. Stamkos, drafted first overall by Tampa Bay in 2008, had recorded 13 goals, 15 assists with 28 points in 23 games for Tampa Bay this season. I would also like to add, and I did not realize this, uh-huh. he's the first Tampa Bay Lightning to hit 1,000 points in his career with the team. You know, for all the success that the Tampa Bay Lightning has had, I'm surprised that the Ottawa Senators had a 1,000-point player before the Lightning did. Mm-hmm. Like, that is actually very surprising. It is, because when you think of the Tampa Bay Lightning, would you have thought, say... Like, definitely Martin St. Louis. You Maybe would have assumed he would have been a thousand points with Tampa Bay. But then he, 
he did get traded to uh, the Rangers. The Rangers, but like that was pretty late in his career. Uh, yeah, so I'm actually kind of surprised that Stamkos is the first one to hit a thousand points because I again I would have assumed it was a a Saint Louis. I was gonna say Le Cavalier, but I not surprised on that end. But yeah, Saint Louis definitely. I would have thought he would have hit a thousand first. But then also, I'm surprised it took Stammer so long. That's true. I mean, you also got to realize that the guy had, he had a lot of injuries, injury issues, and stuff like that. Remember what? Remember what playoff run it was where he came back for one game, played one shift, scored, and they knew he was out for the rest of the game. Was that 2020? I believe that was 2020. It was one of the years they won the cup. Yeah, because it was the very funny. Well, you got to put my name on the trophy now, motherfucker. Moments yeah. of the NHL. Goes out, scores a goal in his first shift, and dips. He's like, I'm good. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, because he's been in the NHL since he was 19, back in 08 09. I, I guess he had, he's played over 10 seasons. And yeah, I guess that's probably a, still a pretty good pace especially with all the injuries, because it's not like it's not like even the best players put up 100 points every season, right? That's rarefied territory. And do you mind quickly looking that up, Tim? Because I think he's only hit it once in his career, maybe twice. Yeah, it's, I know it's he, had 60, he had 60 goals one year. I think he's like one of like three players who's hit 60 since the post-lockout. Yeah, he... Only hit a hundred points in the uh, 2021-2022 season. He's flirted with it a couple times: 98 in uh, 2018-19, 91 in 2011, 95 in 2019-20. 20, but it was also like he also just hasn't played many full seasons. The only full season I see here where he scored less than 80 points was 2014-2015. 2015-2016, he played 77 games, 64 points. 2016 2017 he played 17 games and scored 20 8 17 18 78 games 86 points right so it's like and then the short in 2020 2021 season played 38 games scored 34 points like the guy every year he's been in the NHL he's been basically a point of game player and like the fact that I'm like well I'm surprised it didn't hit it faster despite n- not playing a thousand games yet just really goes to show the adversity that Steven Stamkos has gone through. I know. And he's one of those superstar players that kind of just goes under the radar. And it's not even because he plays for Florida, just because again, he's had the health issues and stuff. But when you have guys, especially in what used to be the old Atlantic division where Florida and Tampa Bay played in. Yeah. It was kind of easy to get lost in that division because all the dominance was in you know, with Crosby and Ovechkin and the big name players like that. Even like Ilya Kovalchuk when he still played there. Like the other thing that I think where uh, he gets lost in the shuffle a bit is you have big names and he's always been surrounded by other big names. Like Victor Hedman was there before him. Then he had the triplets with Kucherov, Kalorn, and Palat. Actually... Hedman was taken the year after him. Oh, he was taken the year after. Why? Did I, I always get those two in the reverse order. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like he's always been surrounded with a lot of talent. He has. 
And I'm super happy that he reached a thousand points because he seems like just such a genuinely good dude off the ice. So I'm very happy for him. Yeah. Now, everyone to our next story, Tim. The Vancouver Canucks have announced that Roberto Luongo will formally become the eighth inductee into the Canucks Ring of Honor. Luongo, who was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2022, played for Vancouver from 2006 to 2014, recording a 252-137-50 record, becoming the franchise's all-time winningest goaltender while winning the William Jennings Trophy in 2011 and being named captain in 2008. Okay, so I got one comment to really make here, Tim, about this. As much as it's very obvious that Rupert Luongo is going to be honored, yeah. Canucks fans were pissed about this. But I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. Because he wasn't retired? Jersey's not retired. But that's a thing. Roberto How can you retire number one, though? Like, you're taking away one of, like, three numbers goalies use. That's so tough. True. But I think for me, though, Luongo you can make a very legit argument of his number actually being retired by Vancouver. Because when you think of those years that he played in Vancouver, he is definitely one of the big names that you think of outside of the Sedins. Because of that 2011 team, there's five names that come to mind for me. Daniel, Hendrick, Roberto, Ryan Kessler, Kevin Bieksa. And you can put Alex Burroughs in that list too. But for me, those are the big five I immediately think of. Well, I think the other thing that is definitely tough is that the kind of the apex of his time in Vancouver, that 2010-2011 run, he played so, so well until the finals where three of the games he was perfect, four of the games he got chased out of a building. And unfortunately, like my the memory that I hold of Luongo in that that whole thing is uh, the time that the Bruins hanged eight on him in Game Three, mm-hmm. and like that's really tough, especially for a guy who uh, you didn't he wasn't drafted there. He kind of left under a cloud. Goalies don't get that many numbers, so the number retirement problem that I, I love quoting that Futurama episode where like all the Mets have like irrational numbers or weird fraction numbers. Like that is a a very big problem for goalies because they all have either number one or some number in the the low Mm thirties. And I quickly looked this up because I was actually kind of, I was actually kind of thinking about this. Like Roberto Longo's number one has been retired by the Florida Panthers. And yet, I think of him as a Canuck. I don't think of him as a Panther. So I am very surprised that the Canucks didn't retire as number one because Daniel Hendricks' numbers are up there. Roberto, I feel, I agree with the Canucks fans that he should his number should be retired up there. He was the captain. He won a gold medal in Vancouver. He took him to the finals in 2011. The only thing, and I... I thought he had won the Vesna in 2007, but he lost to uh, Martin Broder. Right. Who won, I think he won like 49 games or something that year. Like it was something stupid. I know. And then I remember who Martin lost in the playoffs to that year. <laughs> who was uh, that, Tay? Oh, I don't know. Apparently Does I- it rhyme with Senator? 
think so. I think so, Tim. So we had a couple of signs to talk about this week, Tim. The Dallas Stars have re-signed forward. Roby hints to an eight-year, $67.6 million contract on that AAV, 8.45. And yes, I know the dogs are broken background. Hints, drafted 49th overall by Dallas in 2015, had recorded eight goals, 16 assists for 24 points, and 22 games for Dallas at the time of the story. The dude goes and records a hat trick right after signing that contract. So it's just yes. like, Again, yeah. another guy, another guy from the 2015 draft. Yeah, Rupe Hits is worth the money. And uh, he has been fantastic. He's been incredible for Dallas. Like him, Pavelski, and Robertson have really dragged that team kicking and screaming. Jason Robertson has been amazing this year. Guess who got him in the fifth round because all of y'all slept on him. Oh, shut up. Hey, my team should be deader in the wa- dead in the water given how many injuries I've dealt with and somehow I'm third. But yeah, we were talking about someone who was taking the second round and is a legitimate top line presence and probably will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Oh, 100%. And you know what? He's playing in Dallas where he's going to be one of the big guys there. Yeah. It's funny how, like, for the last 10 years, Dallas has been the big line team. Previously, it was Sagan, Jake. Jamie Ben and Radulov, but they they got old. Obviously, that happens, and now it's and then it just seamlessly transitioned into two guys they drafted and Joe Pavelski out of nowhere. Yep, just absolutely incredible stuff. So we're gonna close the top of the hour, Tim. Not by talking about the Ottawa Senators because we don't have a sin story to talk about. But a former for the former Ottawa Senator, Colorado Avalanche have signed forward Alex Galchenyuk to a one-year $750,000 contract. Galchenyuk recorded three goals, four assists for seven points in seven games for the American Hockey League's Colorado Eagles. Talk about injury trouble. That is a team that has just been marred. And Galchenyuk is just one of those guys that I don't even know what to say about him anymore. Galchenyuk was one of those guys when he signed with Ottawa a couple of years ago. I really, really hoped he would have hit for us because a guy, the the guy went through the ringer like you, you. I don't want to say you rarely see, but it's true. There's not too many guys you really think of who been through the ringer as much as he was, especially when in Montreal. Despite the fact he scores thirty goals, they still run put him right through the ringer. Yeah. Well, the hard thing with uh, Galchenyuk is his five-on-five numbers were always they would range between very good and oh my god, what are you doing? And he was never exactly good at defense as we saw in Ottawa. So, like, when, when the offense dried up all right. There, there really wasn't a spot for him in the AHL, not in Ottawa, not in Toronto, not in Minnesota. How long did we even have him in Ottawa for? Not even a year. Like, we, we can we count the games on our fingers? Something like that. I remember talking about him. I remember he had a couple of games where you're like, okay, 
he played eight games for the Senators. And then I think Toronto claimed him off waivers or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, and then he played in the playoffs for Toronto. Yeah, and he wasn't good. And he was awful at Ottawa. Holy crap. I mean, he had one or two games where he was okay, but... But yeah, it, it was uh, not good. Not good. So, like, that's one one of those guys that, like, you always hope that he could turn his career around, but... Yeah. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got four games on the schedule this week. We've got the Sens versus the Kings, Rangers versus the Sens, Sens versus the Rangers, and the Sharks versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Nice. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Kings. This is a 3-2 Senators victory. Sens go, sorry, 3-2 overtime Senators victory. Sorry. Sens goes scored by Brady DeChuck, Alex DeBrinket, and Claude Giroux in overtime. And the Lone King goals were scored by Arthur Kellyev with two. Shots were 39-27 for Ottawa. Brady DeChuck opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators. Arthur Kellyev gets LA on the board to tie the game at one. Alex DeBrinket scores on a one-timer to make it 2-1 Senators. Arthur Kellyev gets his second of the game to tie the game at two. And Claude Giroux scores it in overtime to make it a 3-2 Senators victory. So I kind of sort of watched this, but I also condensed it because it was Katrina's birthday dinner that night. Yep. I kind of watched a little bit, but that's not the point. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of guys here, Tim. Now, one guy, before we go any f- into these guys, I want to talk about Thomas Shabbat. Two assists and one shot. The one thing I really got to say about him in this game is that it's really nice to see him back playing that quarterback role because you really find out what a good setup man Thomas Shabbat really is. Yeah, like it's his first game back and they pl- plug him in and it doesn't look like he was gone. And uh, his setup on <laughs> Debrinkit was just a thing of beauty. Just hitting that seam perfectly. And the other thing I want to talk about is just how dominant the Shabbat Zoo pairing was. Whenever they were on the ice, nothing was really happening for LA and the puck was deep in the LA zone. This game easily could have been four, five to two. Jonathan Quick played very well. The other thing that I noticed was the LA Kings defense is definitely built around Jonathan Quick's late career glaring weakness. Did you notice how many rebounds that man kicks out? Mm-hmm. And the LA defense are just abs like it's very quick on it, and they'll throw the puck away. And Ottawa was often very good at collecting it. But yeah, if Ottawa could have gotten to that second rebound, they probably would have been up five, six goals. Just quick just throwing himself at a puck and then kicking it out that was one thing i noticed while watching the games just how disciplined uh los angeles's defense was to clean up a known mistake a known constant mistake that jonathan quick made every every period multiple times yeah and that's something that ottawa's offense definitely picked up on in this game and i mean 
you know, when you talk about the guy, I mean, let's talk about, let's see, I got three guys here. So let's talk about Tim Stutzlock. Two assists on three shots. And let me tell you, he had a couple of chances in this game where I thought he was going to bury him. Oh, yeah. And to be completely fair, yeah. it was a few misses, but there he just got robbed net side by quick. Yes, he did. But the other thing is just looking at the shot map from this game, it's amazing how much Ottawa got just in tight. So, like, that's one of the things with LA's defense being so primed to clean up rebounds. They have to be in a place to get the rebound, which allows the Ottawa's defense to kind of oh, get into better, sorry, Ottawa's offense to get into better positions or pass around to the outside and then get something into a plot place where then they could just shoot and get or try to go for, try to gin up a rebound. Like, it was just very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And then, you know what? I really got to give Tom, uh, Brady to Chuck some real great comments yeah. here. Because let me tell you, what the eye-hand coordination he had on that goal. Like, to get that out of the air was incredible. Yeah, like, not many guys can do that, especially in tight like that. No, and uh, we're going to be talking about Brady a lot because... Uh, the man had a productive week. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And you know who also had a productive game, though, Tim? It's Alex Dabrinkit. One goal on five shots. And let me tell you, it's so great to finally see him burying those chances. Because, you know, we've talked about how snake-bitten he's been this season. He definitely has been snake-bitten. And it's oh, nice to sure. see him when he actually finally buries them. Because it's really reinforcing that, okay, he can score without Patrick Kane. Well, the other thing that's really surprising about Debrinkit is he's actually on a better point pace than he was last year in Chicago. But he's doing a lot more playmaking. And that's a very underrated skill that Debrinkit has. Yeah, and he's definitely had games where he's set up some beautiful chances, man. Like, there's no two ways about that. The only other guy I could really talk about in this game is our cover athlete for next week, Cam Talbot. 25 saves, a .926 save percentage. Looked pretty solid in this game. He, uh, outside of the two Arthur Kaliev goals on the power play where it was just one faceball back to Kaliev laser in, Cam Talbot had a very strong game. Uh, and he held the Ottawa Senators in kind of throughout that kind of early second period where there was a bit of an energy low. And then uh, played a fantastic third period. You know what? We've been bouncing around it all game. Do you want to talk about the Giroux goal? Yes, I do. Just the fact that like, Cam Talbot tipped off Tim Stutzla to the availability of that pass. So good. It was so good. And it's nice to see Claude act. I don't want to say finally, but Claude has been such a good guy for us this season. And yeah, there's not much I could really say about that game. I think we've pretty much covered everything we needed to talk about this game, Tim. So I feel we should move on to the second game of the evening. Rangers versus Senators. This is a three to one Rangers victory. Rangers goals scored by Jimmy Vasey, Barkley Goudreau, and Chris Kreider. The Lone Sands goal was scored by Shane Pinto. Shots were 36, 
35 for the Rangers. This was a frustrating game to watch. Just Yaroslav Halak seemed to be on something. Like the guy, literally every other game this season has been an absolute disaster. Like we're talking sub 800 save percentages. And then he decides this game is the game where he's going to turn back the clock 10 years. Well, I remember when I saw the Sens play the Canucks last year when Halak was playing, and even I thought the same thing. I thought, oh my God, he's going to beat us. And then somebody stepped on his hand and he was done for the game. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I can't explain it because it's like, it wasn't even like Ottawa was just throwing like bad shots at him. Mm-hmm. No, they were getting like quality in tight chances. The Rangers defense was just letting Ottawa just do whatever they wanted. Almost all of Ottawa's shots were coming like in tight or in the slot. It was just like either Ottawa missed the net entirely or Halak just was throwing himself across the net. There was that one goal where he was just laying down, just whoop, leg up, like it's freaking nothing. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game, but from what I saw, I thought Ottawa did play fairly pretty good until the third period. I think when the third period, when the Rangers kind of shut us down, it was just like, that got frustrating right there because we had a number of chances to finish it. That that was definitely frustrating, but you could kind of see like the moment, like after midway through the third, just the moment was sucked right out. Although uh, they played very, very well for that extended six on four and six on five at the end. And then Halak just shut it right down again. Like that's just the frustrating reality of this game is a goalie who has been absolute. There's so many Ottawa losses like the, like that this game this season where it's the senators were the better team and then just got hosed by a goalie that decided to be super saiyan that game yeah it's brutal it really is brutal now the first comment i want to make outside of the game itself this was the first game the auto centers used their new reverse retro jerseys i think we should talk a little bit about these jerseys because i know that you and i were talking about this during the game when i was happening and honestly i wanted Get your take on what you feel about this reverse retro because I've got some thoughts of my own, but I want to hear from you. What do you think about them in person on TV? They look pretty good. So one of the nice things I like about them is uh, the numbers on those old away home jerseys from the mid 2000s there. They look really good. They do. I actually like the asymmetric slash design of the striping on the jersey. Always really like that on the original. Now that I see them in person, I can understand why they decided not to put white in there. See, and this is where I got to import here, Tim, because you know what? I do like the sleeve, the striping on the sleeves. I do like the numbers. I totally agree with you. I just think that the swoosh kind of gets washed out on TV when you see it. Like when it's up close, you definitely can notice it. But when you're watching the game in the wide shots when they're just looking down on the ice, it kind of gets washed up with all the But I think like if you just had this giant white swoosh, it would just look so weird when you see it in motion. But I think it needed either some like a gold outlining or a white outline. Just a little more. Yeah. And again, I just feel like it gets washed out. It just looks like our home jerseys with different numbers. You know what they should have done? The Senegoths should have been the main the main logo, and the uh, current logo should have been the side pad, the oh, shoulder I, patch. I thought you were going to say they should have brought back the SNES. 
No. Or they no, no. Here here's here's the 100% everyone would love this. The main logo is the Senegal and the side patch is the Peace Tower. Yes. Oh, I would have loved it. Now, I do want to get now the the first thing I do want to comment the logo on that jersey itself, like, do you think they should have gone with the 2D? Or do you think that they should have gone with the original 3D Senegoth? That's Senegoth the- all the way. Yeah, I agree. I think it just would have helped it a bit. Because they do have, like, the more the more modern 3D logo as their shoulder patch, which I don't think is a bad logo. I will stand ground on that i don't think it's a bad logo i just think the jerseys were not that great i i like the 2d logo like simplifying it was the right idea for the reebok edge jerseys yeah and you know what this is just gonna be an indictment of the reebok edge jersey because like they really had to every team really had to simplify to get a reebok edge that worked just because like that slim tapered fit Honestly, I do too. Yeah, I I like the Reebok Edge jerseys, right? Yeah, like there, I actually do like the Ottawa Reebok Edge jerseys because you do have like that the more complex arm work to match with the just the bare the standard red on the body. I like the fact they have the O and the O, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the hard thing with the Reebok Edge jerseys, though. Is you can't be quite as creative as you could have been on those the older CCM or the more modern uh, Adidas fits. Yeah, I do like the fittings of the Reebok jerseys. And I like the fact that... Who has it now? It's not Under Armour. Who, who, who has the contract? Adidas. Adidas, yeah. Adidas has it now. I think the one thing I've really noticed, because I have three of the, the new Sen 2G jerseys, 2D jerseys, sorry, is that two of them are actually Reebok because the other's from Fanatics. And I really noticed the Fanatics one fits more like the Reebok Edge. Huh. I think the Adidas one, it fits kind of odd. It fits tight. It, feel, it fits, a, I have an XL jersey. It fits a lot tighter on me. I'm. It's funny. I have a men's small jersey that actually does feel a bit baggy on me, but I guess I'm I'm a wafy person, but it almost, the Adidas, it fits more like the old CCM jerseys, I find, just in the way that it's a bit, it's not tapered like the Reebok edges. And I don't mind the tapered jersey, to be honest with you. No, it's a shame that it's like, you can't be quite as creative with the designing on it, though. Like, that's the trade-off between, like, just a really nice thing jersey. But like that curvature does take away some of your design, your ability to do design on it. Like, yes, but certain teams really did use that to their advantage, though. I'm trying to think of like, I the Sens did have a really nice edge. Actually, the Leafs edge jersey was pretty good. I'm always partial to Anaheim, to be honest with you. The Anaheim ones. Oh, when they first went to orange. I don't like. I don't care for the orange jerseys, but yeah, that more Reebok. What yeah. Black orange and gold or the hell it was but it had the the web to d on it i'm trying to think of like like the buffalo slug was uh oh god the buffalo slug Ugh. actually the islanders managed to get a pretty good reebok edge jersey before they went back to the classic look yeah they did actually the king's 
the Kings went with the Purples. That was good. It's all right. I'm not really super crazy, but that's the thing. When I, when I talk about the Kings, I don't care for their Laker colors that they used to wear. Because right. You go through their history, they always copied the LA teams, whether it was the Lakers, then the Raiders came along. It wasn't until like the late 90s or 2000s where they had like that black and purple, which the Sacramento Kings actually wore, but whatever. I think that's a beautiful look. I would have liked to see that come back in reverse retro, but you know, maybe that's in the future. So maybe, let's maybe. Let's go back talk about this game, Tim. Now, Shane Pinto is the only guy who scored in this game for the Sens. One goal and three shots. It was a pretty goal. Given how invisible he actually has been the last couple of weeks, it was a pretty goal. Well, that's the big thing about Shane Pinto is I'm not even sure if it's like invisible. Like it's more been invisible on the score sheet. You have to remember that the guy does have, I think he has nine goals on the season, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive for a rookie despite. Yeah. He's nine goals and two assists. So it's like, I think he's been playing and like he was on the right side of the puck for, for all of this game. And for like the past two get two or three games, he's been playing good hockey. He's just finally been rewarded. I'm trying to remember. Do you remember there was a senator who scored, I think he scored like 20, 30 goals and he had like 10 assists in one year. Isn't that just Danny Heatley? No, it wasn't him. Oh, right. Danny Heatley scored 50 goals and 10 assists. Yeah, I think it linked this up real quick. I think it was the. No, it wasn't Brandon Boshensky. It was like one of those guys. It was like, it was one of those like guys who he had like one good year. Right. You know, this is a, the other thing that I do want to say about this game is the Pinto line had the Panarin line figured out. That was actually very surprising. And I also just didn't realize kind of how not very effective Lafreniere and uh, Capocacco really are. Yeah. Although the Shabbat Zub line had just an off night. It is true. It is true. Now, there is two other guys I want to talk about. Well, first of all, Brady Dechuk. Even though he didn't get on the score sheet, he did have four shots. I do want to give him credit for one thing. I can't remember when in this game it happened. He had that one-handed chance in this game. Very much reminiscent of Jake Sanderson's dad, Jeff. <laughs> when he played for Buffalo in the 99 playoffs versus Toronto, he came down the wing and he actually flipped the puck one-handed. And Cujo, it handcuffed Cujo. Oh, right. Yeah, that was neat. It was. And, you know, a lot of people could probably point to this game and think that Cam Talbot was the, was a big problem in this. With 33 saves at point nine one seven, I Gotta say, I don't think any of this was on him. I can't fault him with those goals, though. It's tough. A few of them were, were tip-ins or bounces. Yeah. And it was just like one of those games where it was like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And that's just kind of how I'm just kind of writing that one off. It's true. However, though, Tim. Sorry, do you have another comment to make? No, no, no. However, Tim, this next game, we can't write this off. 
Sens versus Rangers. This is a three to two Senators overtime victory. Sens goes to score by Brady Chuck with two. Fans went over done. And Tim. Rangers go to record by Vitaly Kravchuk and Kravstov and Mika Zibetajad. Shots for 37-27 for Ottawa. Two words. Captain shit. Yeah, like, the game opened and it looked like it was going to be a repeat of the previous game. And then Brady Kachuk is like, you know what? Screw that. Fights a dude, assists the Stutes the goal, ties the game up, and then wins it at overtime. Like, the first line was keyed right in the whole game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to grab my black cheese card here. Go on. Come here. Oh. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> No, honestly, this was a great game for Brady. Two goals, one assist for three points on eight shots. As you mentioned, he had the fight at center with Jacob Truba. I do want to comment two things, though. First of all, this was Brady Chuck's 300th NHL game, and he scored his 100th career goal in this game. Yeah, and it's one of the things I'm noticing about this season, and uh, Nia Mendez has pointed this out as well, is that Brady Kachuk has found his scoring edge. because. We're talking about a guy who is on pace for 40 goals this year. Again. And he's only shooting at 10%, which is close to his career average. And his skating looks way better. Yeah, that's the one thing I've really noticed over the last several years he's played, is a skating. Because remember when he first came in the NHL? And he, he was just, always falling down? He had the Bambi leg. He was he, just, he, he was just so straight-legged when he skated. Yeah, well, I even remember Kelly saying this when we had her on our podcast. I was like, I can't think of a guy I've ever watched in the NHL who falls down as much as Brady Kachuk does. Yeah, I know. He was just such an awkward-looking skater when he first came in the NHL. Thank God he was a big kid because, oh, I don't know. But I'm glad that his skating has gotten a lot, lot better. Now, of course, we're talking about this game, Tim. The New York Rangers, they scored twice in this game. Did you know they went two for two on injuring a defenseman on the first shot and scoring on the second? Now, I do got to ask, where do you stand on the Travis Hamnick one for the first goal? Do you think that they should have called that back? I didn't see it. What happened? Basically, what happened is uh, Vitaly Krastoff took the first shot, hit him in the throat. Hamnick goes down. Whistle doesn't get blown. He scores on the on the second shot. If they don't call things down for the goalie not having a mask, they're not going to call it down for that. So just on pure consistency, yeah, they'll let that one go through. But yeah, if a guy's in medical distress on the ice, the ref should blow it. Yeah, and he was down. And like as soon as he scored, the, the trainers jumped over the bench. Yeah. And I know even on the second goal when Zub got hurt too, same thing. When Zibanejad scored, the ref, the trainer jumped on the ice to see if he was okay. Yeah, and well, at the same time, it's not like the New York players in either situation were trying to hurt the player. No. So I can understand not stopping it to not punish the player, but and I guess in the case of Zub, 
like it, it was a broken jaw instead of a guy just like down in shock. So like, I get it. Yeah, and thank and thankfully Travis Hammond did come back for the San Jose game. So thankfully he's he gone. came back for part of that Rangers game. Yeah, I do gotta admit though, like Artem Zub, he's now out for I think two to four weeks with a broken jaw. You know what I was thinking of when I read that this morning? Connor Brown not knowing Connor, his jaw Connor was broken Brown last year when he got hit. <laughs> Hit the crossbar, came back and hit him in the face. You mean when Chelsea and I were watching, he's like, how is he still skating after that? Yeah, and he's just like, oh, I thought my jaw was a little sore. Eh, you know how it goes. I have, because I've gotten hit in the face with a puck, and it's not fun. Thankfully, like I said, the visor is the only thing that saved me from a broken nose. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. Is, where are your visors, kids? Exactly. Well, I mean, fuck, they're going to be mandatory. They're, they are going to be mandatory eventually. I yeah. mean, in fairness, every NHLer wears them already nowadays, so it's not going to be a big deal. So let's talk about Timmy Stu. One goal on seven shots. Guy had some really good chances in this game. I'm surprised he only got the one. Yeah, and it's talking about goalies kind of playing above when they play the Senators. This is one of the few games where it felt like we were seeing last year's Igor Shesterkin. Because mm-hmm. he is, he's been playing at like a 0.91. But the way this current Rangers team is set up, especially with the disappointing play of Lafreniere and Kako, they need Shesterkin to be putting in 0.95s or above every night to be a competitive team. They need him to be superhuman. He's just pretty good. It is true. You know what I was thinking about when I was watching the when I was watching these Ranger game, Tim? Yeah. You know how nowadays with Twitter and social media and stuff, like the Rangers fans will always complain about Kako and Lafreniere and how they're playing. I would have loved to see it if Twitter had existed in the late nineties, early two thousands, when the Rangers were throwing nine million dollars at guys like Bobby Holik. I would have hated <laughs> to see the Rangers' reaction to all the money they were throwing at that team. And they got nothing out of in return of that. You mean the the later years of Glenn Sather? Yes. The ah fuck it, let's just throw money at everything. Yerbeer Yager, ten billion dollars. Why the fuck not? That doesn't. Okay. Well, first of all, that actually paid off. It did, but it's just very funny. Yeah, but when you're when you're paying all that money to guys like Theo Fleury and Pavel Bury with a bad knee and. Body whole week with nine million dollars. I mean, I guess we got that with Jeff Skinner now, but the whole leak one is just a lot more funny. Yeah. But yeah, also, this is a complete aside, but uh so I've decided to try my hand at uh advanced stat modeling again. And by that I mean uh, I'm shit posting with with uh data science. Okay. And I decide to make a NHL game prediction model. Ooh, okay. So uh, it's trying to predict the probability of a home of the home team winning, given only one input: the difference between the home team and the away team save percentage. Okay. So it's so this is me being cheeky. Where I'm, I'm basically trying, what I'm getting at is that a lot of the pe- models that people are using to predict are like, oh, look at all this math and data science and blah, 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 blah. 
and they hit just slightly better than flipping a coin. And my joke's going to be like, you know what? You guys are all stupid. It's just goalies. Always has been, always will be. So I've just estimated a uh, a simple linear model on save percentage. Put in a t- put in a factor for the team. So you're becoming the Micah Blake McCurdy of shit posting. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set up my pipeline. Yeah. And then I'm going to put this model, this model, and see if I'm allowed to put in a second model once I learn how to do the proper machine learning stuff into his uh, competition for uh, best log loss. And uh, the other one is going to be uh, Mecca Pierre Maguire. So basically what I'm, this is wild. Uh, So the NHL has an API, which is basically an interface for uh, pulling data or programming tools or anything like that, that the NHL wants to provide to public sources for people to use so and i'm going to preface this the intended use of this api appears to be for broadcasters okay so a broadcast team can like be like oh we want to do a we want to have give the color guy some information on say brady kachuk or the home goalie or something like that so embedded in every game and this is actually this is fucking incredible you have the game, you have box score, live score, the terms of use, all that sort of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in each of those sections, there's a player section. And under and every player, and this is attached to every instance of every, every time the player is pulled up in the API, you have where how old the player is, his birth date, where he was born, where when he was drafted from, what number he is, how tall he is, how heavy he is. And I think you also have the college they played in. Mm-hmm. So like for a data analyst, and this is every time the player shows up and the player ID in each game file shows up two or three times. Right. So one season can be like of games can be multiple gigabytes of data just because of all of this needless replication. So my shit post idea is I'm going to put that to use. Yeah. So I'm going to have, I'm going to need to do, I'm going to be doing a lot of flying over the next year. So I'm going to be downloading. What I usually do on a flight is uh, I'll just watch some, I'll watch some anime or something. Sure. I'm going to find old games that have Pierre Maguire segments. And I'm going to watch that. And I'm going to try to figure out like the dumbest things that Pierre Maguire says. And then try to train the robot to optimize for giving weights to those players. Like search out things like heaviest, like the player most likely to be at McGuire's. Has this player been featured on McGuire's Monsters? Has this, what is the degrees of separation from Dion Phaneuf? Like how big is this player? Has this player ever played in Ann Arbor, Michigan? All I thought of when you mentioned that you you watch anime on flights, all I thought of was the episode with Bosti where you're like, hey, Matt, have you ever seen this anime? <laughs> no. Yeah, he comes in talking like he's big old Mr. Weeaboo, and then it's just like... <laughs> I don't think, Matt, I don't think Bosti really knew what he was getting himself into. No, no, no. But yeah, so uh, that was something that I rigged up last week, and it's just very fun. Uh a 1% increase in the save differential 
has a marginal effect of an increased chance of win by about 4%, according to this model, which is pretty neat. Excellent. Yeah, you definitely get, you're going to have to let us know when that all happens, Tim. Yeah, so uh, what I'll try to do is I'll try to figure out how to actually set up the pipeline and then uh, figure out a way to score the rest of the season. Fair enough. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the fourth and final game? Oh, yeah, we're still talking about games. Yeah, let's do that. Sens versus Sharks. This is a 5-2 to two Senators victory. Sharks goals are scored by Thomas Hurdle with two. Sens goals are scored by Claude Giroux with two. Free to check. Tim! Shots were 39-37 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed San Jose throughout this game. Both teams started off looking solid. However, as the game went on, the Senators began to outplay the Sharks, which carried them to the W. Okay, before we get into anything, Tim, let's talk about that penalty kill sequence in the third period. Was that not one of the greatest things you've ever seen in your life? I have never seen an extended four-on-three. And, of course, it was a work of art with Claude Giroux clapping it. Oh, like, let's just run this back. The Senators played almost two minutes of four on three, and Travis Habedick didn't have a stick. And he was swatting away pucks heading towards Forsberg with his bare hands. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, like they kill that off. Debrinket comes in to kill the penalty, realizes that, wait, Hamannick doesn't have a stick. I'm also right-handed. Here you go. So then Dabrinkit is playing without a stick and, like, blocking shots. And then as soon as the power plays over, Giroux, like, Brady Kachuk skates off. And then Drew comes on and, whoo, away they... Sorry, no, Shabbat comes back on. Mm-hmm. They almost end up with too many men because both Brady Kachuk and Claude Giroux jump on the ice. And the Bray's like, oh shit, jumps back off. Mott gets the puck to Giroux, and then he just like handily skates down. And you know how last week I was talking, like the slapper is just gone in the NHL because no one has time or space to do that? Yeah. San Jose was so far away from him that he had time to wind up a half slapper, pick his spot, and just absolutely destroy Kakanen. You know what I immediately thought of with that goal? I yeah. imagine the goalie. I imagine the goalie's just like, "Yep, that's me." You're probably wondering how I got into the situation. <laughs> Pretty much, but yeah, that just that was a statement goal. Holy crap, man! And the other thing is, it's like so often this year we've been talking about how the Ottawa Senators and they get behind, and then like no matter what they do, they can't get back, and then all of a sudden it feels like the energy gets sucked out, right? Mm-hmm. This was not one of those games because of uh, a certain Mr. Captain. Yeah. Brady to Chuck, one goal and three shots, another classic Brady goal. What can you say? Yeah. And like the fact that Hurdle scores on the power play, and it was kind of a weird goal to be all that honest. Mm-hmm. And then Brady Kachuk just gets it right back. Go back to what we're saying about the PK sequence. I was seeing some Twitter posts from people who were at the game. The crowd was just going crazy when that happened. 
Well, I mean, think about what you're watching. Jake Sanderson pulls a puck off the goal line. Travis Habedick is swatting away pucks with his fists. Like, that's crazy hockey. Like, I was sitting there watching it at home, and I'm like, and I think, like, oh, it's a five, it's a four, two game. San Jose sucks. This one's done. And then that started happening. I was like, oh, God. And then that started happening. I was like, holy shit. So good, man. So good. So let's move our attention to Thomas Shabbat. One goal and five shots. What a blast that shot was. Oh, boy. Like, Kakinen didn't have a chance, but I don't know how many other goalies would. You know? Exactly. I mean, there's... It's almost like Timmy Stu in this game with one goal, one two, two points on two shots. I can go back to what I was saying in the... I believe it was... Yeah, previous one. It's really nice to see that he scored those chances. Well, like, the other thing that uh, the Sportsnet team noticed... And I think this is very true is Ottawa figured out how to quickly and easily completely dismantle that, that penalty kill three goals on five penalty on five penalty attempts, sorry, five power play attempts. And the Stutzla and Shabbat goals were very similar. And Matthew Joseph almost scored a goal, just like it off that bumper play. Mm -hmm. Like San Jose plays a very aggressive penalty kill. But if you can hit your passes, that's how you break an effective penalty kill. It's right, an aggressive penalty kill versus one, the more popular penalty kill right now just seems to be collapsing in on the net like Ottawa does, where you give them the passes, but it's hard to get things to the net. With the aggressive one, it's very difficult to get your passes to set up. But if you do get those passes, you're gonna, you get that attempt. You get that very beautiful, very easy bumper play. So there's... Two more comments I want to make on this game. Number one, we talked about Brady Chuck in this game, but the previous captain, yes, Eric Carlson was also there too, but that's not who I'm talking about, Tim. The big fella. Number 11, Daniel Alfredson, was in the building for the game. It's so good to see Alfie's back in our, the team's good graces again. Yeah. Was, was he with Mr. Ryan Reynolds? He wasn't with Ryan Reynolds or Sandra O oh, or the weekend or who's whoever's in now rumored to buy the team. <laughs> can, can I, can I mention for a second though, Tim, I did not see the weekend coming out of this, to be honest with you. I really didn't either. I was like, what? The weekend. Are the Ottawa senders just going to be like the cat, the cat, the feel good party team. If you get like a conglomerate of like, like the main buyer and then like Alfred Sid, Ryan Reynolds and the fucking weekend. Or now here's one that nobody really talks about, Tim. Ryan Reynolds' ex-wife, who not only sang at the Sens home games in the past, but also has a lot of money too. Huh. Alanis Morissette. Oh, and she's local. That's true. From Ottawa. I imagine. God herself and Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. So good. The other other comment I want to make on this game, though, Tim, and this is for me personally as a wrestling fan, 
the scrum at the bench in this game, Alex Marchant played the Degeneration X theme, and I was just like, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, so good, so good. Is that right enough? Yeah. It's like you never get to see me anymore since I'm not here, eh? I agree. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we head off into another closer in the evening? No, I think I'm good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. I'm also at, on both of them at Great White Gipster. Tim, unfortunately, is only on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. And if you want to get him on IG, you know, send him some messages. <laughs> or, or send him fun anime memes. He always likes those. I do. Honestly, though, there was a reason I wasn't on Instagram. I can't remember what it was, though. I think it was something to do with photo copyrights. Oh, is it because you're waiting for Mastodon to come along? That, too. Nice. I'm going to have to look into that one day. I, I don't know exactly what Mastodon is. I know our buddy Ridge. He is no... I, um, think, I think he still has his Twitter account, but he's now moved over to Mastodon. So Mastodon is a quote-unquote decentralized equivalent to Twitter that exists on what's known as the Fed, the Fediverse or Federate group of Federate servers. So the idea is that any server can federate with any other server. And then Mastodon runs on that. So you can have your own instance of Mastodon, or you can plug into other different federations. And if people don't like yours, they can like break that link, mm -hmm. but you still have your, you still have your thing. So that's kind of the idea behind Mastodon. It takes some tweaking to get it right. And then the unfortunate thing is that, well, you get back into the old internet problem of moderators of small forums can have very inflated egos. So you get banned for the dumbest shit. So like, here's the thing. Twitter's going to survive on the pure power that nobody's built anything better. And Twitter still has first mover advantage. You know what, Tim? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know who wouldn't do this to us? Tom from MySpace. Does MySpace even exist anymore? It still does. Wow. Right? I know, it's crazy. What's also crazy, Tim, is that we got three games this coming week. Tuesday night, we are at home to play the Los Angeles Kings. Thursday night, we travel down to the Lone Star State to play the Dallas Stars. And then Saturday, we travel up to Nashville, Tennessee to play the Nashville Predators. Speaking about a team that has a terrible jerseys, the National Predators, eh? I thought you were going to say talk about a team that just has super weird energy this year. Well, that too. That too, but you know where I stand. I don't know what to expect out of Nashville this year. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to say, man. Hard to say. Until next week, guys. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go. Woo!